Good morning, Christ Covenant. It's good to be with you guys today. My name is Barrett. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Covenant. And uh, we're going to be opening God's Word today to Exodus chapter 19. <clears throat> Always a privilege. Uh, Jason and his family are away this week. And so I get the privilege of opening the Word of God with you this morning and, and trying to explain and expound upon what I think is a, a very uh, pivotal and instrumental text in the overall mission of God. So we're going to be in Exodus 19. I, if you looked in the bulletin, you might have seen that it said Exodus 19 through 24. So you'd be happy to know that we will not be reading six chapters this morning, but I'll just be reading six verses. Um, we have the, uh, the Reach the World conference that's coming up. And last week, Zane Pratt preached on Abraham and the Moses of uh, and the Moses of God. Abraham and the mission of God. I'm speaking on Moses and the mission of God. Next week, Jason will be looking at David and the mission of God. And one thing that we hope that our church family sees is that God is, he, he's unfolding this story all throughout scripture. Sometimes we can come to the Old Testament and we think it's just a collection of random stories that's all kind of, uh, there's some weird ones and then there's some really good ones and then, and then we get to Jesus. Uh, but it's actually that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God is unfolding this, this story and particularly uses the people of Israel in a special way. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But uh, so, so we have the Reach the World Conference coming up uh, this Friday through Sunday and hope that all you guys will be a part of that. Come out and join us. It'd be great. Uh, so let's read Exodus 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, we, we kind of know the story, you know, from Abraham, it goes, and he has a son, Isaac, and then Jacob, and Jacob is renamed Israel. And so the promise that God gives to Abraham, it's moving through these individuals, as it were. So it's, it's from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons. Jacob is renamed Israel, and so it's the 12 sons of Israel, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the book of Exodus, they find themselves enslaved in Egypt. And you guys kind of know the story of, of how God raises up this one man, Moses, to go and free his people out of the land of Egypt. And God frees them out of the land of Egypt with the 10 plagues and, and the blood over the doorposts and all that and frees them out of Egypt. And, and they go out. They come to the Red Sea, the, the Red Sea, God parts the Red Sea for them, and then they go across on dry ground, and they've started this journey in the wilderness 
to the promised land, to the land that God has promised to give them. And so one of their first stops along the way to the promised land is that they come to the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai. And this is where our text is today. So they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God calls Moses up and says, I'm going to say a few things to you, Moses, and then you go back down and you tell Israel this is what I'm calling them to be. And so in this calling of Israel by God, I want us to look today just at three terms that God uses to describe this calling or this, this covenant that he's making with the people of Israel. He uses three terms. He says, they will be my treasured possession. They will be, you are to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. These are the three terms that God uses. So I want us to dive down and look at these three terms and try to draw out uh, some things so that hopefully we can understand better what, uh, uh, how God calls the people of Israel. But before we dive down, I want us to understand that this is not just us looking at an isolated Old Testament text. Like I said, there's this whole story that's playing all throughout Scripture, but this is also directly applicable to the church, okay? I know sometimes in the Old Testament, it's like, wait, are we supposed to do that? You know, is the church supposed to do that? And it kind of gets confusing at times. Everything that we're going to look at today directly applies to the church. In fact, I'll, I'll just read uh, quickly before we dive in something that uh, Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9 and 10, Peter writes this. Peter's writing to Christians. He writes, you know, churches have been planted, and then he's writing to Christians in these uh, different churches. And he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I, I want us to see that everything that we're going to talk about, I, I, we're going to dive down into Exodus 19, but everything that we're going to talk about is directly applicable to you and me, to the church today. So let's, let's look at these uh, three terms. The first of these is a treasured possession. You can see here that, that in Exodus 19, that God says that Israel will be my treasured possession. So in my family, I'm the fourth of five boys. My parents had five boys and had all five of us in six and a half years. No twins. So they were cranking out babies there for a while. You know, we had all five of us in six and a half years. And so we're real close. And um, time went on. I went to Auburn University and then went up to Southern Seminary. Actually went up there with Pastor Jason. And he and I lived together up there. And I met this cute little girl named Joe Beth. And immediately, I fell in love with this girl. And, and it really was immediate. Uh, I, I could share the story with you uh, another time. But fell in love with her, and I, we started dating, and things were progressing very quickly. And when things are progressing, what do you do? She needs to go meet the parents. And so I was going to take her to go meet my mom and dad. And I, I kid you not, the very first conversation that my mom has with Joe Beth, she asked her these questions. She says, do you want to have kids? And when do you want to have them? <laughs> and the reason that my mom asked that question of Joe Beth is because of all five boys, none of us had had a baby at that point. And she thought that she had been forsaken by God, that she had no grandkids. And so Joe Beth and I, uh, that, 
thankfully did not deter Joe Beth away from my family. Uh, we ended up getting married rather quickly. And then Joe Beth and I went overseas. We, we went to Indonesia. We were in language school as missionaries. And we were in language school. And when we were, uh, we got pregnant very early on. Joe Beth got pregnant with our oldest child, Evangeline. Evangeline is the oldest grandkid. She ended up being my mom and dad's first grandkid. And so we're, I'm kind of the favored son. Uh, and so first grandkid, over the next 12 years after Evangeline, my parents would have 24 grandchildren. And so the Lord has more than blessed them with all these grandkids. And I oftentimes look back, and I'm like, Mom, you were like so impatient. Just, just hang on a bit, and you'll get like more grandkids than you can handle. But the point I want to make is that my parents, my mom and dad, they cherish their grandkids. They treasure their grandkids. They want to visit their grandkids. They're calling all the time to ask what their grandkids are doing. They want to know every new thing. They're, uh, they're, they're just, they want to be involved in all the details of their grandkids' lives. They treasure their grandkids. And I, I don't know what you come here today with your view of God, but you need to view God more like my parents to their grandchildren. Because we read here that God calls Israel and he says that Israel is my treasured possession. He treasures us. He loves us. He values us. And this, is, this should be our, our view of God. Uh, N.T. Wright is a, is a well-known theologian that I, I've learned a lot from <clears throat> over the last few years. And he tells the story of how he would go to a co college campus and on the college campus, he would talk to a bright young college student, and uh, you know, and they would they would say something to the effect of, "Well, I, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God." And he would ask them, "Oh, well, which God is it that you don't believe in?" And he would ask them to describe what they their view of God, who they have in their mind, and they would say something to the effect, "Well, he's he's this angry God that sits back and just punishes people for any wrongdoing." And he would inevitably respond with, well, I actually don't believe in that God either. But if you want me to tell you about the God of the Bible, I'm happy to do so. And he would proceed to give them a correct view of who God is, specifically in sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. And so he's not some angry God that just sits up. No, he's a God who's come down to us because of his love for us. He treasures people. You can think of the story of the, of the lost son in, in Luke uh, 15, oftentimes called the story of the prodigal son. The, the younger son, he goes out, he disgraces his father by asking for his inheritance before his father passes away. And he takes that inheritance and he goes out and he squanders it, squanders everything to the point where he has absolutely nothing. And then he wants to return to his father because it's so much better with his father. But he's deathly afraid of how his father is going to respond. And Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Jesus is describing to us who the father is. This is the father. He loves us. He embraces us. He feels compassion for us. So I, I, I don't know what your view of God is, but this needs to dominate your view of who the God of the Bible is. 
He is a loving father. And in fact, he loves it when his children will repent and come back to him. When his children will return to him in, in humility, like we read the psalm earlier in the service. And he loves that humility when we come back. I, I know that you've heard this verse a thousand times, but, uh, but listen to it. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loves the world. He loves you and me. Sometimes, you, sometimes we just need to hear this, that God loves us. He wants you to return to him. I don't know where you are. If you're living in sin this morning, quit hiding from God. Stop. He sees everything. Just return to him. You may think he's just standing back as an angry God that's wanting to judge you. No, he will stand as a father. Go to Luke 15. You'll see he's standing as a father, and he waits to embrace you. He treasures his people. The second thing that we see in Exodus chapter 19 is a holy nation. I'm kind of doing these two backwards for you OCD people. It says kingdom and priests and then a holy nation, but I'm doing them backwards. Okay, so we're going to do holy nation first. So God uh, calls Israel to himself. He calls Israel to himself, and he says that you will be a holy nation. Holy, sometimes we think of holy as like perfect, and it, and it definitely has that idea, but it, it literally means to be set apart to be separate, to be distinct from other nations. So we're not, Israel is not to look like the other nations. But they're not separate for the purpose of being isolated. They're separate for the purpose of showing the other nations what it looks like to live in right relationship to, to God. And that's the reason that they're to be holy, to be distinct. Um, the New Testament, it frequently tells us that we are also to be holy. If we go back to that 1 Peter passage that I read earlier, 1 Peter 2.9, he re reiterates that we are to be a holy nation. He's talking to the church that we're to be holy. And if you go back one, one chapter before that, in 1 Peter 1, he says that, um, he says, as you, as he who called you is holy, as God who called you is holy, you also be holy. So there's definitely this idea in the New Testament that each one of us should be concerned with personal holiness, personal purity, living lives that are honoring to God in every aspect of our lives. However, I feel like there's a way that we can get, that we can have a misunderstanding here, okay? So I want us to look at these first two terms, the treasured possession and the holy nation. Treasure, possession, the holy nation. Those two things that God calls of them. And you might have noticed that in verse 5, if you look at it, you might have noticed where, where he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasure, possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And I, I think we can get off. It's, you, you might read this and think it's as if God is saying, Israel has to obey my voice and keep my covenant or else I'm not, they're not going to be my treasured possession. They're not going to be my holy people and, and a kingdom of priests. But I would say that this is a wrong understanding of the text. And I want to I tell you there's two reasons why I would say that this is, this is a misunderstanding. It's kind of this God saying, you do this for me and I'll do that. That's not what the text is saying. And there's two misunderstandings that I think can get us off here. 
So the first one is that God has already freed Israel out of Egypt. This is significant. So when he talks to them in Exodus chapter 19, he's already freed them out of Egypt. He's already released them. He's already liberated them. This is what he's saying in verse 4. If you look at verse 4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You know, it's interesting. He uses that phrase, bore you on eagle's wings. What does that mean? Basically, when something is born on eagle's wings, when, when, when the eagle is carrying something, the eagle is doing all the work. It's pointing to the fact that God has done everything to release them out of Egypt. And, and you, should be having, uh, you should be having thoughts about how God is releasing us from our sin. It's the same thing, releasing us from the hand of the enemy. And that's what God was doing when he sent Moses and Aaron to Egypt. He's releasing them out, and he's, he's bearing them on eagle's wings. And so the eagle is the one doing all the work. The one that's on the back of the eagle, it's effortless. You just sit there. You don't do anything. You know, uh, Tim Keller is, is helpful in this respect. He talks about how we're accepted by God and then we obey. We're accepted by God and then we're, we obey. We're declared righteous by God in Jesus and then we're asked to obey. And I would venture to say that every other belief system or religion in the world is the exact opposite. You obey in hopes that one day you'll be accepted. This is very important for us to understand. If we're going to get this right and how God calls us into covenant with him and how he wants to use each one of us in, in this life. We, we are accepted by him and then we obey. Uh, we, we served in Indonesia for a number of years, which is a, a Muslim country. And um, I, we would share the gospel with, with many Indonesians. And oftentimes when I would talk to an Indonesian person and I would ask them if they thought that they would be accepted by Allah in the end, you know, when they died. And the answer was always, I don't know. And I would say, okay, well, what are you going to do now so that maybe you can be accepted? And they would say, well, I'm going to try to do more good than bad. And this is actually a teaching in Islam that in the end times there will be this scale and your good deeds and your bad deeds will be weighed out. And so they have this teaching. And obviously we would go to the gospel and say, you don't have to do any of that. <laughs> you can just be declared righteous. But they would have this teaching of how their good deeds and their bad deeds would be weighed out. So basically what Muslims are trying to do, they're trying to obey for their whole life. Hopefully it outweighs the bad so that one day they hope to be accepted by God. And this is the exact opposite of what the Christian gospel is. God declares us righteous in Jesus. He accepts us. He takes us into his family. He adopts us. He calls us sons and daughters. But from there, we're to obey. But it's helpful if we look at the second misunderstanding here. Misunderstanding of how we can read this text and, and, and have this idea that God is saying, if you do this, then I'll do this for you. And he's not saying that. So second misunderstanding here is a misunderstanding about covenantal relationships. 
misunderstanding about covenantal relationships. Jason oftentimes uh, very helpfully points out the difference between a covenant relationship and a marketplace relationship. You might have heard this a few times. We talk about this. But I I think this is so key, and I think it will really start to revolutionize your walk with the Lord if you can get a grasp that God is calling all of us into a covenant relationship, not a marketplace-type relationship. A marketplace relationship, we all know. You go buy something, you, you, you want a pair of shoes, and they give you the shoes, and you give them money. It's just an exchange of goods. And this is a marketplace relationship. It's a pure quid pro quo. It's a this for that. I'll give you this, you give me that. I'll do this service for you, you do this for me. And that's a marketplace relationship. But this is very different than what God is calling us into. So in Exodus chapter 19, you need to realize that God is, has already invited Israel into a covenant relationship. And this is the same that he does through Jesus. He calls us into a covenantal relationship. You know, and, and within the bounds of a covenantal relationship, it makes perfect sense that God would ask Israel to obey and to keep his covenant. It's, it's similar to a, a marriage, which is also a covenantal relationship. And it's similar to that in that when, when, we're, when we enter into a marriage, there are inevitably boundaries and parameters that should define that marriage. And it's when we go outside of those boundaries, outside of those parameters, when people get hurt and there's broken relationships and there's, there's pain within, within, the, uh, within the marriage. You know, we don't observe the boundaries of marriage in hopes of being accepted by our spouse. We observe the boundaries of marriage because we love the spouse, because we treasure the spouse. You should have been accepted by your spouse the day you got married. That's the day you entered into the covenant relationship. And this is precisely what is happening in Exodus chapter 19. God has entered into a covenant relationship with them, and he says, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. So God is saying, he's stating his side of the covenant, and he's saying, Israel, I'm expecting you as well to keep your side of the covenant. That's what's going on in this passage. So God calls Israel to be a holy nation, not to be accepted by God. That's not what's going on but to pursue holiness, to pursue purity, to be set apart out of their love for God in this covenant relationship that he's called them to. A couple of quick ways that I think we as as believers and we as a church can get off on this. Um, One way is in worship. You know, we, you come to church and some of us have this, have this mentality that we come to church so that, you know, God will be happy with me. Um, or, or the reverse, the negative. You know, if I don't go to church, ah, I feel like God's not going to be happy with me. That's not a right way to view church. It's not a right way to view worship. We come to worship because we want to be here. We want to worship the Lord. It's out of our love and our affection for the Lord, and that's the reason we come here. You don't come to church out of guilt. Don't come to church hoping that God will accept you because you're carrying out some ritual. It's not what church is about. We come here because we love the Lord and because out of, out of gratitude of what he's done for us. And that's why we come to church. 
I think missions is a very similar, uh, similar thing. You know, sometimes people get the idea that going, going overseas is somehow uh, better or like it earns more points with God. We have this like crazy system in our mind. But this is oftentimes the way we think. And I would say that every other belief system, like I was talking about, Islam is very similar to this. Maybe you would go overseas to try to earn points with God so that the good will outweigh the bad. It's not the way with God, not the way with the God of the Bible. You don't go overseas in hopes to earn more points with God. You go overseas because God called you to go overseas. And in fact, I think there may be some in this room today that God might call to go overseas. That's wonderful. But it's no different than if God calls you to be a a, a nurse at Piedmont Hospital or if God calls you to be a a housewife in Smyrna or if God calls you to whatever he might call you to be a CEO of a business or to own a business and to live for his glory through that business. It's no different. We've got to get out of the mentality that you're somehow earning points with God in hopes that you will be accepted by God. If we can get this right, that in the covenant relationship, he accepts us. He's a loving father. He treasures you. Now we can get to work. Now we can serve him freely. Now we can obey him freely. So we need to understand this covenant relationship that God calls Israel into. He also calls us into through Jesus and being a a holy nation and seeing how God treasures us. Um, And this brings us to the last point, which I I think is more of an outward-facing point, and it's this third term that is used in Exodus 19. And it says that they will be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests. So I want to look at this phrase, kingdom of priests. You know, sometimes we think of the word priest, it sounds Catholic or whatever, and, and it's kind of foreign to us. You know, we don't have priests at Christ's covenant. What is this all about? But it, this is very informative for the mission of the church. So within Israel, putting your thinking cap here for just a second. So within Israel, Israel, Jacob, also renamed Israel, had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. So of those 12 tribes, there was one tribe that was set apart. They were made holy, as it were. They were set apart. They were separate from the other 11 tribes. And they were given a special task that they were to be the priests within Israel. Okay? And this was the tribe of Levi. So the tribe of Levi was set apart. And they were given these priestly duties. And there were different things about the tribe of Levi that was, uh, they had different rules. You know, for, for example, they could not own land. That was one thing that the Levites were not allowed to do. The other 11 tribes were allowed to do. They were set apart. And they had a very special task within Israel to serve the Israelites. And the way they served them, they served them in the tabernacle, which later became the temple. Okay? The tabernacle and the temple... The, the special thing about that place is that it's where the presence of God dwelled. It's oftentimes, if you read the Old Testament, it's oftentimes called the house of God. You can simply think of it as the place where God lived. It's the place where God dwelled. His presence would come down on the tabernacle and the temple. And so Israel had this thing where the people would come to the temple or the tabernacle 
and they would come to it and they would offer sacrifices in order to, to maintain, to obey the Lord and to maintain this right relationship with God. But the ones who helped them, the ones who served them in doing that was the tribe of Levi. They were the priestly tribe. And so the Levites, as it were, were standing between the Israelites and God. And they were helping the Israelites. As the Israelites came into the tabernacle and the temple, they were helping them to correctly administer the right sacrifices in the way that God laid out in the Mosaic law, in the law, and they would help them to do that. And this is exactly what God is calling us as the church to be. We're to be these priests that stand between, not between Israel and God, but now through the blood of Jesus, we stand between the nations and God. And he's calling the churches to be this kingdom of priests. So it's interesting that Levi was the only tribe that was set aside to be the priestly tribe. But then God in Exodus 19 is saying, the whole nation of Israel will be a kingdom of priests. And it's kind of in a, in a similar way. You might think of it as, uh, you know, at church, uh, there's pastors and ministers or staff members or whatever, and you guys are the ones, you're kind of like the priestly tribe or, or, or whatever. And we're the ones that are set apart to stand up and preach and to lead music and, and things like that. But what God is saying is that all of us are to be a kingdom of priests. All of us are to stand between the nations and a loving God, a holy God. And, and he graciously involves us. I mean, this is, this is wonderful news. This is awesome news that all of us get to be involved. It's a, it's a privilege for us to get, get to be involved that we can bring the nations into right relationship with God. So in the same way that the Levites would stand between the Israelites and God, we also stand between the nations and God. We'll have mission partners that are coming this weekend. And our mission partners, they're out there standing between Parisians and God. They're standing between Dominicans and God. They're standing between Middle Easterners and God. They're standing between Hispanics and God. Joe Beth and I, our family, we, we went to Indonesia. We were standing between Indonesians and God. And as, as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it talk, he talks about how God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's allowed each one of us, because we've been saved through the blood of Jesus, he's allowed us to bring others into right relationship, to be reconciled to the Father. He's called us to be a kingdom of priests. And he graciously involves us in that. So God calls us into this covenant. He treasures us. He rightly calls us to obey him and to be a holy nation. And when we are that, it is, it is wonderful. He rightly calls us to do those things, and he graciously involves us in his mission to stand between others and him. And he allows us to bring people to God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the story that unfolds starting in Genesis, moving on through Exodus, Father, and um, all the way through to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who has released us, not out of Egypt, but out of sin, 
and out of death so that we do not have to pay the penalty for our sins. But we can simply believe in him. We can simply trust in him and and follow after him and give our lives to him. And you will give us life through Jesus. We are so thankful for that. And you will You will empower us to be, through your spirit, you will empower us to be the holy nation that you have called us to be, the holy church that you have called us to be, and so that we can be that kingdom of priests that stands between others and you. And Father, we just praise you that you have graciously involved us in your mission to this lost and dying world, that we can hold up to them, Jesus, so that they too can know the life that we've experienced. Thank you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.